Welcome to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm Matt Manicharian, former NFL scout and currently director of football and research at Sports Info Solutions, joined by Aaron Schatz, the godfather of football analytics and the founder of Football Outsiders. And as always, our producer, the versatile Justin Stein on the controls. And later in the episode, we will have John Barros on with his injury insights. For now, though, it's just me and Aaron. Aaron, what is going on? How are you doing this week? I'm doing good. Uh... Last week was interesting. So many upsets in the NFL. You know, I do this upset watch column every week for ESPN, and it basically had my pick of games last week. I could have picked almost any game, and I would have been right because there were so many upsets last week. Uh, and yet they, the upsets didn't really uh, upset the, the playoff race that much. Um, the NFC playoff race is almost over at this point. Like, it basically is down to who wins the NFC East and the wild cards are, I mean, there's like a 25% chance that Carolina or the Rams will get in, but otherwise the wild cards will be whoever finishes second in the South and whoever finishes second in the North. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting because we got to that mid season point where we finally feel like we have an idea of what's going on, right? Like you remove, um, now we got full opponent adjustments this year and all of our DVOA rankings and stuff like that. And right as we get to that point in the year, of course, we get to that point in the year where we get one of those weeks where it's just like, what is going on with the Falcons beating no the Saints? And, that you know, was like, the game. That was the game of the week that just made no sense. The Falcons beating the Saints in New Orleans and not beating them by whipping them on offense, right? That story would have made sense. Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, wake yeah, up. 500 yards, whatever. Game, that story would have made sense. No, it's that the Atlanta defense bum-rushed poor Drew Brees all day long, which, given what we knew about these teams before last week, made no sense whatsoever. I'll, I'll give you another one that I thought didn't make a whole ton of sense was the, the Colts-Dolphins game. Just listen, I think that everybody thing was overblown with the Dolphins earlier in the year. To some extent, to some extent they were that bad in the first two weeks of the season. They really uh, were that bad. But um, clearly they're, they're playing better and, and they're putting things together. But on the Indianapolis side, the only thing that I think explains that a little bit is the lack of Jacoby Brissett and the lack of T.Y. Hilton. It's a different offense without T.Y. Hilton. I think that Hoyer can get by and be, you know, you can, you can win a game with him against the bad team. But all of a sudden, it, they, were really, they were really stripped kind of naked right there. And, and how about our guy Nick Needham having a nice game there for the Dolphins? He uh he had the interception and uh, a, a nice nice solid performance for the for the starting corner for the Dolphins there. Yeah, the Dolphins have picked up a lot of corners that have been dropped by other teams this year. I've noticed, but guys have come guys are performing for them uh, even without Howard. Xavier Howard, Howard, yeah, is usually they're far by far their best corner, and he's on IR now, and so other guys are stepping up for them. And, and they, they lost really- Minka Fitzpatrick. Look at him. <laughs> Well, he's been amazing for Pittsburgh, but they really were that bad in the first four weeks of the season. But, I mean, when you're the worst team ever, the likelihood is you're going to regress to the mean sum. Yeah. Um, no, I, I've been uh, pleasantly surprised by them thinking, uh, you know, they've played a little bit better. And I really believe that for all the talk we had about tanking and tanking versus rebuilding and what does it mean, I think they're going about it the right way in the sense of, I, I think that if you want to say they, they sacrificed this year, if you want to call that a tank, it was a tank. But I think the true tanking is trying to lose. And I don't see them as a team that's trying to lose. It's certainly not on the field, the players and coaches. Players are never trying to lose. There but, is no such thing as tanking for players. There aren't, ta- there aren't players who try to lose. Like there are very, very occasionally throughout history teams that seem to just kind of give up and not care anymore at the end of the season. Usually those teams are coached by Rich Kotite. 
NFL players, they really truly want to win, and they are going out there giving it their all every week, even if they're getting outperformed because the other team just has a lot more talent. Yeah, I heard about uh, my old friend from uh, Columbia Sports Management Program, Andrew Hawkins, talking on uh, with Joe Thomas. They have the Tomahawk show together. And I heard uh, them talking about, you know, crying when they won their one game in the 1-15 in year. Um, and, and I think that it's true that they are always trying. What I mean from an organizational standpoint, though, about trying to lose versus embracing a rebuilding year is I think at the end of the day, you don't actually need to get the number one pick in football. This isn't basketball where there's only going to be the top three picks and then there's going to be a huge drop off. We really don't know that much about all these guys that we pick every year. We know much we don't know much more than we do know about NFL draft picks. And so the point of a quote unquote tank or what I think we should really call a rebuilding year is to take those future assets and make sure you're stacking them up. And they've got seven first and second round picks in the next two years or something like that. But trying to build the culture, it's so hard to build a winning culture in football and trying to build a a team of people that cares about each other and wants to play for each other and knows that each other have each other's back. I think it's really important in football. And I think that, um, I think it's a really nice sign for the future to see uh, what coach Flores is doing down there. My Uh, guess is even if they lose the rest of their games and finish two and 14, the Dolphins players aren't going to go into the offseason feeling like losers. They're going to go into the offseason feeling like we're, we're building something here. And so those two wins have value, even if it means that they get the second or third pick rather than the number one. There's more than one quarterback in next year's draft. Yeah, absolutely. And, man, what a game that was last Saturday seeing Burrow and Tua go at it. Oh. I would love to have either of those guys on my team, but I'll tell you, after watching that game, I'm even more uh, kind of digging in on my Chase Young as the number one player in this draft stance. I just think he's he's so outrageously good, and I'm not positive about Burrow or Tua. I think there's both there's warts to both of them. Where if it was you know if it was a Peyton Manning coming out, I would take him over over Chase Young. But but uh, uh, I'm not sure that that's either Tua or Burrow. I think these guys are both very good players, but that Chase Young is just ridiculous. I, I will say, given the importance of the quarterback position. I would still select a quarterback over Chase Young. But looking at who's likely to get the top draft picks, I mean, I would think Cincinnati would take a quarterback. I would think Miami would take a quarterback. Chase Young, though, on the New York Giants or the Washington Redskins would be pretty awesome for them. Yep. Um, and it'd be hard to see one of those teams passing on him no. um, at that spot. I think just just to show you, we've seen how good Bosa's been this year. I think Chase Young is a better prospect than Bosa. I think we're talking about more like uh, Miles Garrett type, Jadavian Clowney type prospect. Um, really, really ridiculous athlete. Part, part of me would like to see the Giants lose some more games here just because, number one, having the best pass rusher on the Giants just feels historically right. And number two, I trust the Giants to not screw up Chase Young more than I trust Washington. <laughs> yeah, you know, I grew up in they New not, York. May not be a great, they may not be a great organization, but they're a better organization than Washington. The, all of my Giants fans, friends that I know, they want the Giants to actively bottom out. They, 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 they can't get rid of Gettleman fast enough because they see the writing on the wall. If, if The best case is mediocrity with him. All right, let's, uh, we've meandered around enough, um, and let's get right back in. Let's talk about the most important games this week. Every week, based on Football Outsiders playoff and Super Bowl odds, we get our most important games for playoff leverage. What do we have as the most important game for Super Bowl odds this week? Last week's previews were all NFC, I believe. This week's previews were going all AFC. The game of the week by far, 
for the Super Bowl is Houston at Baltimore. Baltimore makes the Super Bowl 27% of simulations if they win, 17% if they lose. Houston, 10% if they win, 4% if they lose. This game is hugely important because of the importance of that first-round bye. Since the 2012 Ravens, no team has made the Super Bowl without a first-round bye. And unless you think the Patriots are losing three or four more games, they've got one of the first-round buys. And the other first-round buy comes down to Houston or Baltimore or Kansas City, maybe. But probably the winner of this game is the most likely team to win that other first-round buy. Yeah, um, and uh, let's start off right away with these quarterbacks because uh, they've both been outrageous. they both moved their way into the MVP conversation. I think it's, there's a little bit of hyperbole this week with just the recency bias of the, of the crazy things that Lamar Jackson did last week. But let's also remember and when we put his stats into context that um, he's a lot uh, more of a, a mortal at the quarterback position when you take out that Miami game early in the year and that Cincinnati game this past week. Um, I know DVOA will be good to us about that, but some of our other more traditional statistics will not. Um, in terms of the SIS passing metrics and, and the MVP debate, these guys are sixth, Deshaun Watson, and fifth in the NFL in IQR. In terms of rushing points earned per attempt, Deshaun Watson actually 49th out of 50th. He is negative rushing points earned this year, whereas Lamar Jack- Jackson easily first in rushing points earned per attempt with 20 points earned per 100 attempts. And then in terms of passing points earned per attempt, we've seen Deshaun Watson outplay Lamar Jackson according to the total points metric. Lamar Jackson 12th in the NFL, Jackson 5th in passing points earned per attempt. So really good quarterback performances, obviously guys that get it done with their athleticism as well as their arms. But as Bryce Rossler points out in his notes, they've been very different despite their athleticism. Jackson, 75% of uh, his runs are designed runs. Just 50% of Watson's runs have been designed runs. So we, we've seen over 75, uh, 76 designed runs this year by Lamar Jackson, um, whereas just 26 of those by Deshaun Watson. So it tells you a little bit of a difference, I think, if you've seen them and passed the eye test of how they play. Um, but these are guys that have similar skill sets that are operating completely differently. I will say that our our numbers, the DVOA, DYAR, agree with you. Jackson is the best rushing quarterback this year. All of those fumble problems he had last year have gone away. The best uh, rushing everything, anything, huh? We have Watson. We have Watson as a better passer. Um, well, we don't have Jackson as the most valuable runner because the baselines that we use, right? We do value over average. The baselines for quarterback rushing are higher than the baselines for running back rushing. So when you compare the player to other players at his position, you still end up with more rushing value from a guy like McCaffrey than you do a guy like Lamar Jackson because the level that we're comparing Jackson to is a higher level. Even on a rate basis? Even on a, uh, I'm not sure about on a rate basis. I would have to look that up. Hold on. And I will look that up for a rate basis. But on a total value basis, I mean, obviously the top running backs run a lot more than the top Right. They, yeah. Yes. We even on a rate basis, we have McCaffrey with a higher DVOA than Lamar Jackson because the baseline for quarterbacks is a lot higher than the baseline for running backs for runs. Part of that is because quarterbacks don't usually have runs for a loss, right? A scramble for a loss is a sack. 
It's an issue with the way the way everything's scored. So w- right. the way we're doing things, we're dropping things into into dropbacks uh, versus design runs versus scrambles. Um, so it's interesting with different systems and different ways of evaluating. You, you'll find different intricacies like that. Yeah, Either way, Lamar Jackson's really good at running. Eventually, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's good at both scrambling and design runs. Eventually, I want to con- include scrambles with our passing ratings rather than rushing. Although the tough part about that is that you can't go back and do that for the past. And I love doing comparisons with the past since we have stats that go all the way back to 1985 now, but you don't know when scrambles were before 2005. Uh, I will point out about this game. I wanted to pick this game as my ESPN upset watch. And then the more I looked at the matchups, the harder it was to see where Houston should be favored on the road against Baltimore team that I believe is higher than them in our ratings. Baltimore is fifth. Houston is 10th. I'm having a really hard time picking upset watch this week because the matchups in this game just don't lend themselves to upset watch. And the other game I would pick, uh, which is uh, the next game we're going to discuss, which is Indianapolis-Jacksonville, the line is down to two and a half. And for my upset watch column, I'm supposed to pick games where the line is three or more. All right, so as we move into the next game of the week, we can all feel so bad about, about the upset watch and the trials and tribulations. Um, I know you've been having just a really hard time with upset watch this yeah, year. It's only seven and three this year. <laughs> yeah, you know, picking those, picking those three-point underdogs are better. You're seven and three. I'm sure uh, it's really hurting out there for you. But, but check out these matchups, right? So Houston ranks 29th in DVOA against quarterbacks running the ball so far this year, and it's a small sample size. But like Gardner Minshew killed them with scrambles. If Gardner Minshew killed them with scrambles, what on earth is Lamar Jackson going to do against that defense without J.J. Watt, by the way? The other thing is the Ravens offense is number one in the league on third downs. The Texans defense, number 32 in the league on third downs. That could be an issue. So, um, so you wanted to pick that game, and you can't go with it. Um, you're saying based, it based on those splits. Matchups. Yeah, I mean, there are a few things that are favorite Houston. For example, the Houston defense has been better against play action than against other pass plays this year, which is the kind of thing that's rare. But at the same time, we've never found any real consistency to play action defensive stats. So I don't know whether that's really predictive or not. Yeah, it seems like at this point in the year, especially when you start to split things up like that, it, it ends up getting noisier than, than helpful. Um, it'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting to sit back and watch. I'm just excited to watch both these quarterbacks play when, when they each have the ball. The other thing that we should talk about, the Ravens defense playing much, much better in recent weeks than they were at the start of the season. Uh, the Ravens defense was pretty bad through week four. They've been much better since then. So through week four, the Ravens defense had a DVOA of 15.5%. Remember, higher than zero is bad for defense because it means more scoring. Since week five, minus 12.8%. Yards per play has gone from 7.1 allowed to 4.9. And it's not just Cincinnati because that week one through four that we were looking at includes Miami, and their defense still was not that good in the first month of the season. So the Baltimore defense has improved. The Baltimore offense is playing really well. Baltimore is the home team for this game, and some specific matchups really don't look good for Houston. So watch, I say all this, and Houston actually wins. But right now, I I just would have to favor Baltimore. Yeah, um, and with that Baltimore defense, the addition of uh, Marcus Peters has has worked out well for them, Uh, him with another pick six last week. It's ridiculous because things like pick sixes are almost entirely shown to be random 
when you look at stats, except there's certain players that just stand out above the randomness. And Marcus Peters is one of them. When you look, he is such an outlier in terms of interceptions. When you look at like year after year after year interceptions, it's a little crazy. Well, it's funny because he's a guy that can get picked on, but he will guess and he will, you know, based on your alignment and the, and your body lean and he'll, and he'll make those guesses plays where it'll end up being pick sixes. Um, so you take the, the risk with the reward with a guy like that. Let's keep it moving and talk about the most important game for playoff odds. You mentioned it before. It is Jacksonville at Indianapolis. Yes, Jacksonville at Indianapolis is our most important game for the playoff odds. Because the AFC playoffs, uh, you really, at this point, you have five or six teams that are in it for wild cards. If you assume that the division winners are going to be Kansas City, Baltimore, Houston, and New England, you've got a really great race for the wild cards. Indianapolis is in 57% of the time if they win, 25% if they lose, Jacksonville 36% if they win, 10% if they lose, although by DVOA, Jacksonville and Indianapolis are virtually tied this year, even though Indianapolis is the better team by one win. Yeah, and that that kind of passes the smell test for me. Uh, teams that have been doing things at the quarterback position. Um, interested to see as uh, we move on from the Gardner Minshew era into the Nick Foles era, what exactly that looks like for the Jaguars. Indy, uh, this this game, the quarterback changes mean a lot in this game because uh, Indianapolis's offensive DVOA went down about eight percentage points last week because of a really horrible game by Hoyer. So with Brissett, they are better than their overall rating would suggest, and they would be the better team here. The other thing is, what, what is your feeling about Foles and Minshew? Do you feel that Jacksonville is making the right move by going back to Foles, or do you feel like you would have stayed with Minshew? So I think it's really close, um, and I, 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 I defer to their judgment as they're the ones inside the building, but I would say this. I probably would have switched, stayed with Minshew rather, rather than go back to Foles. I think what you've seen with Minshew this year has been a competent win-with starter, um, kind of uh, – a guy that that I think has done everything they asked him. He's been accurate out there. Um, I don't think he's a high-end starter, but I think with a guy like that on his rookie contract, I'd be really excited to build around that and see what I can what I can do in terms of uh, offloading the Foles contract and building my team uh, other ways. You know, you've seen how strong they've been on defense historically. So I, I would have stuck with Minshew there, but I don't hate the idea of uh, – seeing what you have with Foles uh, for the rest of the year and making your call in the offseason. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of with you. I would have stayed with Minshew. I, I think it would be difficult to offload the Foles contract. So I think they may be stuck with Foles either way, which means you don't get the value of having a sixth-round quarterback become a you know, starter well, the way you normally would because you're paying Foles. So I think they could actually – so assuming they would be trading Foles, saying basically they're going to be eating the, the signing bonus that they already paid him. Maybe they can get a team to pay a little bit of that back, but theoretically having already paid the signing bonus to Foles, whatever he's under contract for for the rest of that contract, that should be an asset out there to another team. And, and I, you think that there would be teams that would be, you know, we, we've all talked about Cam Newton to the Bears. That's another one that, that would make sense to me in the offseason. Yeah, although, I mean, Cam Newton's a guy, the highs with Cam Newton, if he, if he puts it back together and gets healthy, the high of Cam Newton is a lot higher than the high of Nick Foles. That's definitely true. I'm not going to argue about that one. Um, as far as this matchup with Indianapolis and Jacksonville, both defenses are much stronger against the pass than they are against the run. 
But Jacksonville this year has been much better passing than running the ball, so they might want to still pass anyway. That's assuming you're kind of going into the the week kind of assuming Foles is going to be the same as Minshew because why would they change to Foles if he was going to be worse than Minshew? Right. And that, that, that about passes the smell test. They play a little bit of a different style out there, but not, not crazy different in terms of what they're doing. Um, and you could expect about the same level of play. I think that's reasonable. Uh, Jacksonville, this is interesting, uses less play action than any other offense in the league, but averages a league best 11 yards per play when they do use play action. Interesting. Um, the play action splits have just been fascinating to keep an eye on throughout the year this year. Like maybe they should do that more. I mean, it's working for Tennessee. <laughs> it's working for a lot of teams. I mean, it usually does, right? Your average team gains at least a yard per play more with play action than without. Indianapolis is fourth with 31% play action, although they only only average seven yards of play with play action, which is still better than they average without it, but is not what Jacksonville is doing. Um, but I, it's interesting to see the why Jacksonville doesn't use as much play action, especially when their offense is theoretically built around the run, right? Because Leonard Fournette is, you know, they're supposed to be built around Fournette, although we, we know they're not really. So you're saying this game was a, a two-and-a-half-point game. If it was a three-point game, you'd be liking uh, Jacksonville over Indy here? I mean, even with two-and-a-half points, I like Jacksonville. I, I would favor Jacksonville to cover, certainly. I think I favor Indy to win, but if I was setting the line on this game, uh, I would not set it at, at, at three points. Uh, three points uh, suggests that they're equal, and there is a little bit of value to Jacksonville coming off their bye week that would make these two teams not necessarily equal. Plus the fact is Hilton is still not practicing. So even if they have Brissett back and it looks like Indianapolis will have Brissett back, it doesn't look like they'll have Hilton back. And they're definitely the, the, their wide receiver core. He is the stud number one and they would miss him a lot. Yep. If he plays, you can count me in for Indianapolis minus three. Otherwise I think you make a compelling argument for the Jaguars there. Keep an eye on that. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll get that extra half point in a, if they, if they rule TY out and then you can, yeah, uh, then I can do my write up. <laughs> uh, the, the Jacksonville defense, by the way, 26th against deep passes, fourth against short passes. So you want guys who can go deep against Jacksonville. Another reason why Indianapolis is looking a lot better if TY Hilton can play in this game. Sports Info Solutions is excited to announce the launch of its public-facing site, SISDataHub.com. The new SIS Data Hub is free for all to use and features detailed player pages and leaderboards that provide some of the best information available. In addition to all of the standard statistics, here you'll find proprietary data collected by SIS video scouts, like on-target percentage for quarterback, pressure rates for edge rushers, blown box for offensive linemen, and more. You'll also find advanced metrics calculated from all of that data, like independent quarterback rating, total points earned, total points saved, and many, many more statistics, from adjusted blown block percent to positive percentage for receivers, quarterbacks, running backs, broken tackles, air yards, and more. For the most avid football fanatics, a pro version of the Data Hub is also available, which contains everything from the free version as well as filters to split by situation, personnel, and almost anything else imaginable, coverage scheme, run direction, and more. The Data Hub Pro also includes team leaderboards, NCAA data, and the ability to download all data as CSV files. You can register for a free seven-day trial by going to pro.sisdatahub.com. 
All right, let's keep it moving to our last game that we will discuss this week. What is the next most important game for playoff odds? There really was no third game that stood out. So we decided that we wanted to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and the Los Angeles Chargers in beautiful Mexico City. The Chargers are in 93% of the time if they win, 70% if they lose. The Chargers are in 9% if they win, and if they lose, it's basically over, which is hard to say about a team that for a while was my AFC conference title pick until the injuries started happening in the preseason, and they just have completely fallen flat on their faces this year. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a tough year. The, uh, the Chargers, at first, the injury situation, uh, maybe that's gotten a little bit better, and they've, they've kind of picked things up defensively. Philip Rivers, for me, it, maybe he's finally jumped the shark um, along with uh, you know Eli Manning, as we saw a few years ago. He's currently 25th out of 35 qualifying quarterbacks in total points earned per attempt, and he was all the way up at number four in 2018. So it really does beg the question, kind of what's gone on there with Philip Rivers this year, and and um, is this the beginning of the end for him? Yeah, it's it's a neutral site game, so the fact that the line is only three and a half points doesn't really make sense to me. Kansas City is third in DVOA. Chargers are nineteenth. Kansas City is better than Los Angeles in all three phases of the game. Uh, talk about Philip Rivers having problems. Kansas City is shockingly, shockingly good against the pass this year. They are fifth against the pass, and they're only twenty third in pressure rate. So they're basically doing it with pass coverage, mostly by guys you don't know very well, like Chavarius Ward. They're fifth against tight ends, which helps them contain Hunter Henry. So we know that they're susceptible to the run, and the Chargers love to run, but the Chargers are only 23rd running the ball this season. So, I mean, yeah, they'll run on the Chiefs, but the Chiefs have been much better against the pass than I think anybody realizes. Yeah, the Spagnolo defense back there playing all that different combo stuff they do defensively. Um, I think it's it's worked out better on the back end. Unfortunately, they've been really getting mashed up front. I think that's where we see the difference between their number three DVOA ranking and and kind of how the, it's it's gone on in terms of their record. Steve, the other right. is schedule. They've played the second hardest schedule on defense, so that's led to them being perceived as being worse than they actually are. Right. So I, you know, I think with, uh, Austin Eckler, it's not, it's not Melvin Gordon. Who's the guy it's Austin Eckler, uh, who's been awesome. He's uh seventh in total points earned per rushing attempt. Uh, Melvin Gordon all the way down at 41st. Um, he's the guy that, that I think uh, you worried about, you know, any sort of rushing against Kansas city defensively. That's what can keep Pat Mahomes and all those ridiculously fast guys off the field for them on offense. What I do like about DVOA though, is I think what it's telling us is it, it matches kind of the smell test when you look at the chiefs, which is that they're much better than a four loss team. Um, yeah. This is this is a really good football team. I'm I'm still not ready to, aside from the Patriots, put anybody really ahead of them in the AFC. Um, even if they've got they're on the outside looking in for for that buy right now, just uh, on the strength of Philip Rivers, who continues to uh, not uh, Pat Mahomes continues to do things that we've never seen before. That ridiculous jump pass. I don't know if I've even called it a jump pass. A jump pass is a thing that I've seen before. That was something that I've never seen before. What he did. Um, I just think he's he's so good. I'm with you. This this line is too small. I think that the Chiefs here really turn it around after, you know, some of the nonsense they've been doing and they and they bust the doors wide open on the Chargers here. And here's another thing. Flip it, talk about that Kansas City offense, which is second in DVOA behind Dallas. Nobody is better at designing passes to running backs than Andy Reid. The Chargers are thirtieth in DVOA against passes to running backs. That is not a ranking that you want to have when you are playing the Kansas City Chiefs. 
I'll tell you a secret that I think uh, Andy Reid knows about passing to running backs, and it's that if you've got really fast guys on the field like McCole Hardman and Tyreek Hill, it's a lot harder to defend those passes to running backs. Because <laughs> they're moving all the defenders back because you've got to watch out for Hardman and Hill getting behind you all the time. He's stretching you vertically and horizontally. It's fun to watch that offense. Um, I, I, I'm still not ready to count them out. We all know we think offense is, is the most important thing in the modern NFL, and it's hard to, to bet against that offense. I, I, I mean, I've got an, I'll admit I've got a little bit of an emotional thing here. If my boys can't win, you know, the, I'm a Patriots fan. Uh, I know a lot of people in the analytics community are very pro-Ravens, and I like the Ravens too, but there's a little place in my heart for Andy Reid. And if my Patriots can't win the whole thing again, I would love to see Kansas City do it because I'd love to see Patrick Mahomes and I'd love to see Andy Reid get a title. I'm with you. Anybody but the Patriots. That's what you said, right? <laughs> All right. Um, let's uh, with this game. Um, if if I think the uh, the Chargers can hang, it'll be because of Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. Those guys have have been uh, really good, um, especially since they've both been in there healthy. Um, I think that's the one way we could see this going the other way, but but uh, we sounds like we're in agreement on on the way we think this one is going to play out. Yeah, is there a third Bosa brother? We need more Bosa brothers. Yeah, the, uh, the I don't Watts, think there was three Watts. We need a third. I don't Bosa. think there's a third one. I think there's just two. I think there's just two Bosas. Is there like a Cooper Bosa somewhere who used to be good <laughs> and he got injured? Like, <laughs> who is the Nate Hasselbeck of the Bosas? Is there a Nate Hasselbeck? Yeah, he sells cars in Wellesley. Oh, that's perfect. I wish they all did that. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, Nate Hasselbeck is the Cooper Manning of Hasselbeck. All right, we will take a quick break from all of the third brother talk, <laughs> and uh, we'll be back with John Barros' Injury Insights. Everybody's favorite baseball publication is back and ready to help you through the offseason. The 2020 Bill James Handbook is available now from ActaSports.com. This year's big feature, a look at our new part system, provides the best publicly available evaluation of infielder defense out there. Curious about which infielders are really the best at playing in the field? We've got you covered. Also, check out the winners of the 2019 Fielding Bible Award essays on pace of play, the Hall of Fame, and more from Bill James and the Sports Info Solutions team of research experts. We've got 2020 pitcher and hitter projections, complete career data on every major leaguer and top prospect, and every leaderboard you could possibly want. That's the 2020 Bill James Handbook, available at bookstores now at actasports.com or wherever you order books online. Up next, we've got John Veros on for his injury insights. John, what do you got for us this week? So this week, I'd like to take a look back at the Monday Night Football matchup uh, where we had two pretty uh, scary injuries at the time, one being in Emmanuel Sanders, who caught a pass over the middle and uh, suffered a was reported as a rib cartilage injury. What does that mean? So the rib cartilage is what attaches your ribs to your breastbone or sternum, and they're a little bit more flexible than the ribs, and that's why in this case, when Emmanuel was taken down by the defenders over the middle, he was kind of folded up, whereas opposed to a normal rib injury where you're looking for like some direct trauma to the ribs. So um, sounds painful. Uh, what is the prognosis kind of there? What can we expect? So a, a good example to look at for a prognosis would be looking back at Julian Edelman at the beginning of the season when he suffered the same injury as Emmanuel. 
Now, Julian is notoriously a tough guy, so he didn't miss any time at all. Uh, so Emmanuel could be looking at no time missed at all, just some uh, did not practices on the injury report this week, or he might miss one or two weeks. So he, he's more of a day-to-day type of injury right now. Okay, the big acquisition there. We'll see if he can recover. Um, we had on the other side of the field at the wide receiver position, saw Tyler Lockett, the tiny guy out there with those two giants that he lines up with, uh, Gordon and Metcalf. Um, he was out of the game a little bit at the end there, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, this guy's half a foot shorter than these other two guys, but he's the one they really miss right now. What can you tell us about his condition? Yeah, so uh, I may have been able to spot out the exact play. I believe it was in the middle of the fourth quarter when their last drive started. Uh, Lockett caught a pass and was tackled in what seemed to be a normal play, and then as the next play started, he was in the slot, and you could see him wanting to put no weight on that left leg at all. So it was reported as a lower left leg bruise, and it was odd to see him just kind of what looked to be a normal play, and then we saw him on the bench in overtime not playing at all, just with his head down, kind of upset about not playing. But then later news came out that he was actually sent to the hospital immediately after the game. So what I think happened was he suffered this bruise on or around his shin. He has these compression leggings or socks on, so everything is kind of compact and there's real no excess blood flow going on. And then the second he gets to the locker room, he takes off these compression sleeves and all of a sudden this thing balloons up and they're like, holy crap, we got to get this guy to the hospital. This is, this is a huge bruise. This thing is swung out of control. We need some more attention on this. And, uh, yeah, he, he spent two days in the hospital and thankfully did not require any surgery. I don't know if any, um, any of the fluid was drained or anything like that to get the swelling to go down, but it sounds like it was a serious situation. That sounds – so it, it sounds like a leg bruise. It sounds like nothing. And then two days in the hospital sounds like the most serious thing in the world. I remember, you know, like back in the day, uh, Jason Taylor had a thing with his calf where it was it was being filled with fluids or something like that, and they had to have a they had to have him in the hospital to have it like drained out, something like that. Is it is it one of those kind of crazy situations, or is this just a, a how does this happen with a bruise? Yeah, so it, it it honestly it might be like that. And another example would be possibly like Gronkowski. I mean. Uh, this past off season, he was saying all the injuries he's been going through and how he had to get his thigh drained after a big hit that just seemed like a normal football hit. So it, it might be similar to that where Tyler had to get something drained because there was so much swelling in the hospital. Um, but yeah, it's, it just, I saw the play. It just looked like a normal football hit. He just got possibly a major artery was just hit directly on there. And it just kind of, started spiraling out of control there in terms of swelling. Sounds painful. All right, John. Well, thank you for coming on as always, and we'll talk to you again next week. Perfect. Thanks, Matt. On that note, we will sign off. Thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you for listening every week. We appreciate you. Special thanks to Bryce Rossler for some fantastic research help on this episode. Please help spread the word about the Off the Charts football podcast by subscribing, rating, and writing reviews. Throw a quick review up there. Let Aaron know you like his jokes. Let him know you like his stats. And we're always listening at the email the show at offthecharts at sportsinfosolutions.com. You can find us on Twitter at SportsInfo underscore SIS and at FB Outsiders. And Sports Info Solutions is also on Instagram at SportsInfo Solutions.
for my co-host Aaron Schatz, our injury expert John Barros, our producer Justin Stein, and our researcher Bryce Rossler. I'm Matt Manicharian, and thank you for joining us for the latest episode of the Off the Charts Football Podcast. 